Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping young people be successful with money. My name is Jared Dixon, and I'm your host today, and thank you so much for joining us. So we made it to episode two. What a big accomplishment. <laughs> thank you for the people that, uh, that tuned in, the first listeners to episode one. Um, I deeply appreciate the support. Um, I've gotten good feedback on it already, so I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that what we're doing is helping um, and educating, and that's exactly kind of why we got into this. Um, just wanted to cover a couple things um, before we kind of get into the the topics I want to discuss. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually drinking tea. I'm gonna take a sip now. I know you guys probably hate that sound, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like drinking tea late at night, especially before bed, and it actually reminds me of a time where I was on a, I was on a phone call with um, a client um, and, and several members of my team, and we were kind of courting this company and trying to sell them a solution, what have you, and this guy was just an absolute character, loved talking about himself, loved talking about him, his company, and he was drinking tea while we were on the call, and I kid you not, he would slurp this tea like, just like nothing I've ever heard in my entire life. And you guys have probably seen on a cartoon um, where, where you know, people like gulp and it sounds like gulp, like it's, it makes that sound and you can see the Adam's apple. Um, I kid you not, this guy would slurp and gulp exactly like a cartoon character. And everybody on the phone call were all in this small office kind of huddled around <laughs> A speakerphone, and uh, we had to put that bad boy on mute, and we were just dying. I mean, laughing so hard that we were crying. So, um, I'm gonna be that guy to you all, and I'm gonna drink my tea. Um, and uh, I don't care if you laugh at me, I'm gonna do it. So, I'm gonna take one more sip here. All right, and keep it, uh, <laughs> gosh, keep it lubricated. This is going off the rails really fast. Um, so one thing that I, I wanted to cover before we really get into the topics here, um, our newsletter, um, it's a weekly newsletter sent toward the end of the week, sometimes even on the weekend. It's a recap of everything, all the content we put out the previous week. Um, so <clears throat> if you're not on Facebook all the time, if you're not on medium.com all the time, if you're not kind of logging into the website and seeing what's new on a, on a frequent basis, the best way, if you're interested, um, is the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing here at Millennial Economics is to uh, subscribe to the newsletter. I send one a week, that's it, um, and it's going to give you a rundown of everything that we did. So it'll have the podcast episode of the week on there, a couple articles, um, and a couple, you know, just kind of things that I'm thinking about. So um, you can find and subscribe to that newsletter at www.millennialecon.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the homepage. All you do is type in your email, hit submit, and you're done. Um, so onward. We, so the first topic, and it's really, it's timely, right? Um, the first topic I wanted to talk about, it was uh, referencing an article that I wrote this past week called What to Expect from the S&P 500 After an Election Year. Um, and essentially what I did is I, I took some, I collected some historical data. So I collected all the election years starting in 1940 until today. Um, I pulled data from the following year of what the S&P 500 did, how it performed. And I also pulled data on what political party won for that given election year. 
So I'm not going to go too far into the weeds here. I really realized kind of when I was planning out and plotting out this, this podcast that just going down the list of all of these different election years and giving you all this data is probably one of the most boring things you would ever listen to and you would just shut this off. So I'm going to go over a few lines. Um, before I do, I just want to say that really this data and this article had no political leaning um, and really is not written to uh, with a political agenda or persuade anybody of anything. And in fact, when I pulled all of this data, um, I found that really whether a Democrat or Republican won, it wasn't a huge indicator on how the S&P 500 performed, surprisingly. Um, so I'd encourage you to take a look at the article. You can find it on the website just under the blog tab. Um, and it, it, it's not a completely robust set of data because a lot of people might argue that, you know, well, the year after an election, is the person elected or is the political party elected really responsible for how the S&P 500 performs? Um, and I totally hear that. There's something to that. That, that is a comment with substance. Um, you know, maybe they inherited a good economy. Maybe they inherited a bad economy. Um, maybe some, you know, presidents did a good job of, you know, with the economy um, <laughs> the, f the first year that they were in office. Um, and quite frankly, the S&P 500 isn't a direct reflection of the economy. So there's a lot of holes you can poke in it. Um, it this wasn't supposed to be a, a PhD <laughs> project or anything like that. This was just something that I know is really relevant with us having an election coming up in less than a month. Um, so I wanted to get it out to you all. So I'll go through a few of these lines just so you can kind of see and give you a little bit of data and we'll, and we'll move on. But um, in 1940, it was an election year. I pulled data from 1941. The S&P had a negative 17.86% return, and the individual who won that election was a Democrat. Um, following year, uh, was following, following election year, excuse me, was 1944. Pulled data from 1945. The S&P 500 did great, had a return of 30.72%. Um, the political party that won that election was a Democrat. They were a Democrat. Uh, let's see here. We'll bounce down a little bit. Let's go to, okay, so 1980 was an election year. I pulled data from 1981. The S&P had a negative 9.73% return, and a Republican won that election. Following year, 19, following election year, 1984, pulled data from 1985. Um, stock market, or excuse me, S&P 500 had a 26.33% return. Fantastic. A Republican uh, won that election. And let's just go here recently. So 2012, pulled data from 2013. S&P 500 performed at 29.6% or had a 29.6% return. A Democrat won that election and uh, the election year 2016. Uh, pulled data from 2017. S&P had a 19.42% return and a Republican won that election. So really interesting stuff here um, as we're going into a, we're in an election year. Um, and I know a lot of people are freaking out about how the market is going to perform. Um, I don't give investing, we'll say it straight invest, investing advice or telling you how the stock market's going to perform. And um, by the way, caveat, um, all of this is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not a professional investor. Um, or financial advisors, so take that with a grain of salt. And I know that this information and data isn't completely 
bulletproof, but I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to share it with you. So onward, we're moving on here. Um, wanted to get into a quick quick sponsorship note. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns is a fantastic platform. If you are a beginner investor or individual that's never invested before, but is looking to, they offer a cool, a couple cool, really, they offer a couple cool. Yeah, that's right. They offer a couple of really cool features. Um, some of which I've used for six plus years personally. Um, the roundup feature, essentially, every time you swipe your debit card that you attach to the platform, it rounds up to the nearest dollar and invests that change in an investment account. Um, so that's a really cool and easy way to get into investing that's very passive, um, which I'm a huge fan of, very hands-off. The other feature in this one I actually use even more, um, you can set recurring investments right into your account, straight from your bank account. And I do one every week, every Friday. I'm a super easy. I it just happens. I don't have to do anything to it. So it forces me to invest. And um, it's not a lot, but little things over a long period of time equal big things. I'm a firm believer. Um, and so I, I do that. And I've been doing that for the past six plus years. And the way that it works is when you set up the account, you can select what type of portfolio you want all the way from, I think it's conservative to aggressive and like four notches in between. And it lets you know kind of what your portfolio is going to be made up of. Um, it's really great. And also, you know, depending on your portfolio, you can earn dividends here that are automatically reinvested. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So if you are interested in investing and you're a beginner, never done it before or just getting into it, I highly suggest opening an Acorns account. If you do so with the link in the show notes, um, you will receive $5 added to your account automatically. And I also receive a small kickback. So you'll be supporting the podcast. So if you decide to do that and it seems like a good fit for you, um, I sincerely appreciate the support. Okay, moving on. Um, something, a topic I guess you could say I'm really passionate about. Um, I wrote an article titled Five Ways to Make a Wise Investment Decision When Buying Your First Home. And for me, this was a really pertinent and timely article as well because not only is the real estate market in a ton of markets across the country absolutely insane right now, houses are selling for <laughs> 10 15% over asking, um, multiple offers within a day, um, just nuts, absolutely nuts. Um, but I have a lot of friends right now that are that are looking to buy a home, and we just bought a home about a year and a half ago. So I know that there's this kind of weird mystique when it, especially with young people, when it comes to buying real estate, it can be a scary process. It's a very very large investment. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's tons of things you have to keep in mind. Um, and so I just wanted to write an article on five things that I've experienced personally um, and seen in other folks, other young people that I know that are looking to, to purchase a home. So um, let's get into it. Five ways to make a wise investment when buying your first home. Number one is don't get too emotional. And this one is this one's probably maybe the most common um, on the list. Um, but it's human nature. Um, basically, when we go and see a home, it might be your first weekend, it might be your second weekend going out, um, you're going to see a home that you really love, and you're going to start picturing yourself there, and you're going to start attaching yourself to this, and you're going to see the dog in the backyard, and you're going to see your wife there, and then eventually your kids or whatever. You're going to see, you're going to start picturing yourself there. In your mind, you're going to already have moved in, unpacked the U-Haul, <laughs> mounted the TV, and started a fire in a home you don't even own yet. And they haven't even put a doggone offer in on. Let me take a sip of tea here. Sorry about that. Um, but you're going to be emotionally attached. And when we are emotionally attached, we don't make wise decisions. Um, we don't see red flags when they do pop up. We don't see, 
you know, or I guess take seriously would be a better way of saying it. The, the things that may pop up on an inspection report, you know, when you get that inspection done and they give you that report and they tell you the foundation shaky and the roof needs replacing and the, the water lines are bad and um, all of that, you're, you're going to look past it because you're emotionally attached. You've already moved in. Um, so you might move forward with that and it might be a bad choice for you. Um, when we're emotional and we're attached to a property, we have a tendency to overpay for a property. So even if there's 20 bids and uh, everybody is willing to overpay for this piece of property because they're emotionally attached, well, you're more emotionally attached. So you're going to make even a larger offer because you don't want to lose this home. You've told your mom about it, and your girlfriend about it. You're going to overpay for a piece of property. Um, so don't get emotional. Um, one thing I always like to remind folks of that are buying a house is that there is going to be another house that you're going to love that's going to check the boxes for you. This isn't the only one. Um, so don't get attached. Don't get attached because you're going to have um, a tendency to make a bad choice. Number two, don't spend as much as you're pre-approved for. Um, the amount a bank will pre-approve you for is astronomical. Astronomical. I have a friend that, that was looking to buy a house. Uh, makes decent money, makes about $50,000 a year. I think the bank approved them, or the lender, I should say, approved them for $300,000. $300,000, which is absolutely nuts. Um, I would never recommend somebody spend that amount of money in relation to their income on a, on a home. Um, so what I recommend doing is analyzing your budget beforehand. If you don't have a budget, make one. And we have some uh, actually some cool things that we're building right now for people that are looking to um, to make a budget to kind of help you with that. Um, some free resources that'll be on the website, but make a budget, figure out what you can afford with margin built in, um, so that you're already checking the boxes of the investments you want to make or the debt that you want to pay off, or you know all those monthly expenses, your emergency account, and you know your entertainment fund. Work all of that in. Figure out how much you can spend comfortably not a stretch, that you can afford comfortably for your house. Um, and go based off of that number, not the number that the bank pre-approves you for, because the last thing that you want is to be house poor, where 50, 60, 70% of your income is going to your home, and you have no margin for any error, any life things that are bound to happen, because let's face it, life things happen all the freaking time. Um, it's not if, it's when. Those things are going to happen. Um, my wife and I had a life thing happen um, regarding our house, um, this week, <laughs> our main water line, we got a call from the water company. They told us we had a big, uh, a big leak. They came out. They told us that we're liable for fixing our main water line. Um, not a cheap fix. Um, so not only will life happen, but home ownership can be expensive. Not saying that it's not rewarding. It can be a massive blessing. It can be a, a great way, especially if you do it the right way to, um, earn some big bucks, um, on, on appreciation, um, for your uh, unappreciation of your um, your property, um, building equity as as you own it, so and as you maybe put some work into it and fix it up, so um, don't spend as much as you're pre-approved for. You'd be wise not to. Number three, and this is my absolute favorite one. I tell everybody that I run into this little tip because we've reaped the benefits of it twice now. But it's buy a house that looks like old people lived in it. <laughs> it's kind of a funny one, and no slight against older folks, but um, buy a house that. It looks like old people lived in. It has flowery uh, wallpaper. The living room is purple. Um, the the tile in the bathroom is pink. Um, it has an old stove. It has an old refrigerator. It has orange carpet. Um, take these houses uh, seriously 
when you take a look at them. Um, and the reason being is older folks, um, and maybe this is just a generational thing, I don't know, but older folks have had a tendency to take really good care of their things. They fix things the right way. They put good materials into their home that will last. Um, they, they maintain their home. Um, these are the types of homes you want because um, the people that you are going to be bidding against or that are looking at homes the same time you are um, are not going to be able to see past wallpaper and ugly tile and ugly carpet. But because you're listening to the Millennial Economics Podcast, you're going to be able to see past that because those are cosmetic things that can be easily fixed. You can invite the buddies over, buy them some beer, buy them some pizza, make a weekend of it, tear down that wallpaper, tear up that carpet, uh, paint the house, clean it, deep clean it, buy a couple appliances as you live in it, right? We don't have to do everything before we live in a house. It's okay to, to have your beers chilled by a, a little bit older of a refrigerator that's not stainless steel. You're going to survive, right? But if you're able to look past these things and you find a home that structurally is sound and that's well-maintained, um, you're going to see some massive, massive gains with little investment. Um, in, I mean, it could be in a few weeks, in a few months after you purchase your home, let alone if you, if you do it over the course of a couple years and you continue to improve this home with things that you can just do in your spare time or on the weekend. Um, so a massive tip, um, look past the cosmetic things, find a home that looks like old people lived in it, make sure it's structurally sound and in good condition and buy that bad boy for pennies on the dollar uh, because you're not going to have a lot of competition. Um, that home's probably going to be listed lower because, again, the people on the market aren't going to be look be able to look past that, um, but you're going to be able to. Or if it's priced too high and it's been on the market for a while because it looks old, you're going to be able to negotiate and get a great rate or a great price. So make sure you aren't looking past those properties. Uh, fourth one, location is a big deal. Um, we've all heard it before, the saying location, 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 but it is true. Um, buying maybe a more modest home in a great location can sometimes and oftentimes it really depends on what your priorities are. Um, if, but if you're looking for this to be a great investment, can oftentimes be better than buying a large home in an area that not a lot of people want to live in. Great locations tend to be um, they tend to the properties tend to hold their value even in a down market a little bit better than in in the more less desirable locations. Um, and when the market's hot, those properties tend to appreciate faster and more than the less desirable than the homes in the less desirable locations as well. So, um, really, the perfect blend is to find a house that an old person lived in in a great location, snatch that guy up and fix it up as you live in it, um, do the cosmetic work, and you're going to be in good shape. Um, and number five is check with your state, um, check with your state, county, and city for free money. Um, when my wife and I bought our first home, we got a grant for $15,000 um, through, I think it was a city-funded program. All we had to do was buy a property inside city limits, which we live in a big city, so it wasn't hard. I mean, there's just so much inventory to choose from. We were going to do it anyways, um, but the program was incentivizing people to move within the city limits. All we had to do was take a three-hour course on a Saturday. So one Saturday, I left the kiddos with the wife drove off a um, 15-minute drive, sat there for a little bit and learned about best practices for home ownership and came back and boom, we had $15,000. Um, and we used that for our down payment. 
So check with these, you know, your state, county, and city for these free money programs. They exist. I promise you they exist. And in fact, when we went through this program, um, they told us, they're like, hey, we do this stuff all the time. A lot of people do this stuff all, all the time, but people don't take advantage of it because they don't know. Um, so make sure you do your research. Ask your realtor, maybe ask your bank. Um, a lot of times banks are affiliated with those types of programs, especially if they're a larger program. Um, do some digging and find if there's any free money for you, whether it's for your down payment or just to, <clears throat> you know, maybe have a little bit of money to fix some things up or, or what have you whenever you purchase that property. So um, really, I just kind of wanted to demystify the home buying process. It doesn't have to be scary. Um, and I wanted to give you guys a few tips so that when you do make that first purchase, um, you knock it out of the freaking park because, you know, making making wise decisions early in life so that maybe you can buy a property early in life the right way will propel you to great financial gains, will propel you to achieving your financial um, your financial goals. Um, the way my wife and I did it is we bought <laughs> a home that uh, looked like old people lived in it. Um, we fixed it up while we lived there. Um, and we sold it for a whole heck of a lot more than what we bought it for because it looked pretty when we sold it. And then we did the same thing at this property. Um, great location, looked like old people lived in it. We're fixing it up as we live here. Um, and when we do sell this property, we're going to make a, a great return um, on it. So um, that's all that I got for you guys. Um, I would love to hear from you before I leave uh, Before I leave you here. If you guys have any questions that you want answered, um, on the podcast, um, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook um, at Millennial Economics. You can find it there. Um, you can find all of our social media social media links um, at www.millennialecon.com. Also, feel free to shoot me an email. It's contactmillennialecon at gmail.com. Um, if I'm liking some of the questions that you're sending, I'll put them right on the podcast. It might be a cool little segment that we do. Um, and we'll uh, we'll jam out together. So um, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you. We will talk to you. <laughs> we will talk to you soon.